三称佛号。南无本师释迦牟尼佛。南无本师释迦牟尼佛。南无本师释迦牟尼佛。Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you today? to stay dry and toasty. Uh, yeah, uh, much awaited rain. Today we had it in uh, a good dosage. Yeah. So, um, uh, I see most of the, the class came back uh, last week. The Last week was the first session for the new term. Yeah. So we covered the we, we did a bit of recap last week and then we finish up on the on this uh, number four the concentration. We started a bit on the fifth one. Yeah. So the fifth factor or the fifth mental concomitant. Uh, hui, wisdom or discernment um, is the fifth of the the set of mental concomitants uh, which corresponds or which arise in uh, specific conditions yeah? uh, under specific conditions then they arise so in this case uh, for discernment or wisdom, with respect to the uh, the object, yeah, with respect to the object, huh? <laughs> with respect to the object, uh, sometimes if you compare this this to concentration and discernment or wisdom, both. Uh, is with regards to the object. Yeah. In fact, in all cases, there's there's the object or the scenario or something which the mind is engaged in. Yeah. 
the difference between, in particular, concentration and discernment is how the mind responds, yeah, or what the mind does with respect to the object. So in this case, jian So uh, loosely translated, we can use the word uh, discrimination. Yeah? But the term discrimination has a negative connotation. Uh, today, when we think about discrimination, it tends to be uh, a negative connotation. Yeah? Uh, so we can also use the term distinguishing. Yeah? To be able to uh, do a disting- distinguishing between the different states, for example. Yeah. Uh, so one other word is discernment. To discern certain qualities or attributes that you are observing about the object. Yeah. Uh, so that's to say that um, when we look at number four and five, uh, thing you wait concentration and wisdom, yeah. um, then both are actually um, focusing on an object that the mind is engaged in. Yeah. Uh, but one, uh, one just purely, uh, repeatedly anchor the mind onto the object, yeah. but doesn't do much with respect to the object. Doesn't go and discern what is it about the object. Yeah. Uh, that would be concentration. And that's the first one. It just anchors the mind onto the object, yeah? Sing, leading to single-pointedness. Uh, but for wisdom, then, it is uh, through this, through the initial uh, concentration, then go and uh, discover, go and uh, see, go and observe, and then uh, discern that, okay, uh, this object is of this nature. This object uh, has this feature, this quality. Yeah. But we still haven't talked about what quality is it. About the ability to do this, uh, this is wisdom. Yeah. As to what quality, what feature you see, uh, that's another thing. Okay, that's another thing. So, uh, <clears throat> so, the function of wisdom is that it can remove doubt. It can remove doubt. Uh, there are many ways to remove doubt, but ultimately in Buddhism we say you need to have wisdom to remove doubt. How does this function actually? How does this work? Uh, you'll see later on that it's basically... Uh, when we first hear about the description of of how things are, yeah, the Buddha described this world. Uh, in the Shravaka teachings, we have the three universal characteristics: yeah? anicca, dukkha, anatta. That all conditioned phenomena is impermanent, is subject to change, subject to suffering, and so. Uh, it's not fit to be considered mine, me, or myself. So, anicca, then dukkha, anatta. Impermanent, suffering, no self. <clears throat> so, initially, when we hear about it, uh, do you all have confidence? Do you all have acceptance of this? How many of you have? Raise your hand. 
Wow, you see, most of you know acceptance. <laughs> well, luckily we are just doing voice recording, not doing video recording. Uh. Otherwise, one well, of the three universal characteristics, only three person raised their hand. <laughs> uh, one more just raised their hand, four. Wait, wait. Have you ever heard of the three universal characteristics? Who has not heard of it? Who has not heard of it? One person hasn't heard of it. Yeah. What's that? Is it universal? I just explained. Wait, wait. Let me write it down for you. I should have brought the other the other file with me. Never mind. I'll write it down here. So we have, let's say, the three. So we have the three. Three universal characteristics. Number one. Impermanence. Anicca. Number two. Suffering. Dukkha. Number three. No self. Anatta. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so, how, how many of you see you seeing this for the first time? Okay, all see before. Uh. Only one person behind. Can see or not? From behind? Can see from behind? Can, uh. So, the rest of you have all heard of it, right? So, okay, maybe we go one by one. Impermanence, how many of you can accept it? Uh, okay, phew. <laughs> uh, that, that which is impermanent is subject to change, subject to suffering. How many of you can, can accept that? Uh, less, uh, must, more hesitation. And that which is impermanent, subject to change, subject to suffering, is not fit to be considered self, hence no self. How many of you can accept that? Largy was. <laughs> okay. So, all together, oh, nobody raised a hand. <laughs> um, do you only need to explain this three? No, oh, yeah. Okay. So, if I ask you, you can explain. Can, can or not? If later on, when you are going back in a cab, then suddenly the cab driver asks you, uh, oh, what are you doing here in Geelang at this hour? So, oh, attending this uh, 100 Dharmas commentary class. Then the taxi driver, oh, you mean the Da Chen Bai Fa Ming Men Lun? Then, what do you all learn today? Oh, three universal characteristics. And then suddenly the driver says, oh, you mean Anisha Dukkha Anatta? <laughs> And then the driver asked, Hey, but I'm not, I only heard of the phrase, but don't know what it means. Can you explain to me? How will you be able to explain? 
Canada. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have this, I have this thought. Uh, there was once I attended this uh, this concert. Um, brass, brass. Uh, what is that? Huh? Uh, Mahabodhi School. They have this. Uh, what, what do you call that? The the band, brass band. That's the whole symphony with with uh, with uh, with Chinese orchestra and all the works. You know. Now. Um, after attending it, in the midst of it, I was most impressed. I was like, wow, primary one to primary six kids, you know. Kids who don't even know how to do quadratic equation. <laughs> they can they can play in the symphony, you know. And it's not it's not like that. It's it's really music, you know. Now what has that got to do with this? After that concert and another one, I was like, wow. If kids, through some training, can actually learn to do that, why can't we make sure that Buddhists can un- at least understand and articulate some basic core Buddhist principles? <laughs> and then I'm not talking about all P6 students. Some of them are in P1, P2, then there are 3, 4, 5, and 6. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not trivial to play a trumpet, you know. It's not trivial to play the Gu Zhen or Gu Qing or Yang Qing. Not, not easy, you know. But they manage to train themselves and do it. Uh, you, you take that away, you give them you give them Minecraft or they go crazy like any other kid. You give them an instrument, wow, become very cool. Or some violin. <laughs> so, these three. Ah. ah, yes, very good. So, now that someone asked, I can explain. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, what is impermanence? What is impermanence? What does it mean when we say something is impermanent? Don't think of it as Buddhist term, just look at the English word. When something is impermanent, what does it mean? It means it's subject to change. What else? It means it's not constant. Okay. What else? Not dependable. Huh? Not dependable. Not dependent. How how do you conclude? Can you explain a bit more? Uh, if I depend on it, then basically I'm saying that uh, my happiness or my uh, results depend on this. But if it will change after some time. Mm. Sometimes I will be disappointed. Okay. What if we take a step back and then look at it from uh, English English meaning? Not eternal. Not eternal. What does not eternal mean? <laughs> what is not what is impermanent, not eternal? What is not eternal? Not permanent. <laughs> Huh? Something that doesn't last. That's not lasting, okay? Mm. Anything else to add? Ever-changing. Huh? Ever-changing. Ever-changing. Okay. Are you all satisfied with these answers? 
，非常朋友啊。Why am I trying to do? Why is Sifu trying to do here? Because these are translations. Yeah. If we just look at this, then we need to go and figure out the meaning, and then search dictionary and so on. But these are the translations of the Pali terms. Yeah. So, by virtue of translations. It should actually tell us something about what is intended to mean. Yeah, we shouldn't have to read further in in, in between the lines. Yeah, so、um, when we when we learn Buddhism, oftentimes we we fall into this pitfall of overreading into texts. Yeah, and and from there we we lose the confidence of what we supposed to know. We Overread it or overthink it, and then we start to wonder: hey, Is there a further meaning? Yeah. So when they translated anicca to impermanence or, or impermanent, it has what it means. Yeah.、Uh, having said that,、uh, in the larger scheme of the Buddhist teaching, there are indeed implications. But for a start,、uh, the the definition that you all collectively give that it is not lasting. It changes. It's inconstant. All these are good enough, yeah. And all these are directly verifiable, isn't it? Yeah. Are you able to verify whether something is permanent or impermanent? Can I not? Say yes. <laughs> Some of you still have still staring blankly. <laughs> Ignore this part. Ignore this part. Just look at this. Can Can you do that? Can you verify? I must make sure everybody say yes. Now, how about this part? All yes. How about this part? Yes. How about the first row seated? Yes or no? Cannot give me blank face mask. Either say yes or no. Ah,、uh, cannot abstain from voting. Second row. Yes. Third row. Fourth row, yes, okay, good. Yes, I'm your sir. So,、uh, in the text, it says it's、uh, that which is impermanent is subject to change, meaning that it can change, yeah,、uh, that it can undergo change. You cannot expect it not to change.、Mm. Makes sense. Simple makes sense.、Uh, then in the text, the Buddha further explain or declare that, or ask actually more correctly, ask the question: that which is impermanent, subject to change, is it subject to suffering? In fact, all this、uh, he asked in the form of questions. Yeah, sometimes he would declare them as、uh, tr- truth, but oftentimes the three universal characteristics come in the form of a series of questions. He would ask, "Consider this: Is form permanent or impermanent?" And then the disciples would re- reply. Impermanent. So it's not a, a, a top-down, you know, a dogma where Buddha says 
can I say not? Except, except say yes. <laughs> no. But he, he really gave them a choice to go and consider, to think about it, to reflect upon it, to examine, to investigate. Then after that, uh, he asked them further, that which is impermanent, is it subject to change? And they think about it, oh yeah, if it's impermanent, that means it's inconstant, so it will change. It's a question of when and not if. Then after that, he asked, that which is impermanent, subject to change, is it subject to suffering? So quick, it's not so much um, the, the, the whole sequence, it's not so much that it is like that. Although, um, as we learn the teachings, we we find ourselves agreeing with it. Uh, but the sequence, the way we approach it in Buddhism, is actually to go and do an analysis and investigation. Yeah. Uh, so the question, that which is impermanent, subject to change, how, in what way, or first of all, is it subject to suffering? How many of you say that something that is impermanent, subject to change, is subject to suffering? That means you can bring about suffering. How many of you don't think so? How many of you are not sure? Okay, a few of you not are not sure. So, uh, let me ask you. When you are, when you are, how do you call that? Uh, when you are thirsty, is is thirst a form of suffering? It is, isn't it? So when you drink water, is that a change in state? And after you drink water, do you quench your thirst? Assuming that you manage to quench your thirst. That you are allowed to drink as much as you can and you need, but not more. Okay? And when you quench your thirst, did it remove the suffering of thirst? So in which case, this change, is it suffering? <sighs> Quick, make a phone call. Seven counsel. <laughs> so those who, who, who first agreed that that which is impermanent subject to change is subject to suffering, what do you have to say? Okay. When it leads to positive, then you will. I think in your case, when you quench your thirst, ah. you're not suffering. Yes. Yes. But if you cannot get the drink to quench your thirst, then that is suffering. Ah, very good. Because you think it's changing, and if anything that is favorable to you, of course it's good. That's why people don't want to die. Yes. Yes.
Slowly, slowly. So, <laughs> the very good point. Uh, uh, okay, let me rephrase that. Very good attempt. <laughs> okay, let's look at it. Huh? You mentioned in the last part that the person may quench the test, and after quenching the test, may want something else. Right? That wanting something else may not be to, to do with quenching the test. So as much as the wanting of something else later lead to suffering, I'm playing the devil's advocate, by the way. I, of course, agree with this. Huh? <laughs> yeah. To stimulate a discussion and to get you all to understand why it's subject to suffering or is it really subject to suffering. So the question, the, the, the proposition is, okay, after crunching a test, you may go after something and not get it, and so you still suffer. So that part has little, if anything at all, to do with the quenching of this. So as much as after that you can have suffering, but that doesn't prove that quenching of this itself is suffering. So who would like to have another go? Okay. Uh, so, you may quench your test now, but that quenching itself is not long-lived. Mm. What do you think? How many of you agree? How many of you disagree? Nobody has to disagree. I disagree, I have to explain. <laughs> how, about, how many of you are not sure? How many of you are still awake? <laughs> so those who agree, who are the ones who agree? Why do you agree? Because what do you agree about? Uh, because the question of this is just a point that arose at the time when we get the feeling mm. that yeah, now the first is gone. Uh, but then later, uh, dehydration will <laughs> occur <laughs> and it might think about another kind of uh, first. But another thing is that uh -huh. uh, when we drink water, then when we get to quench our thirst, then we might drink more. <laughs> and more and more, then it will get slow. Uh, Why would? But what if you don't drink more? And I stop there, then it won't have. So for that moment, yeah, the thirst is quenched. It's, it's, Mm. What is the the argument again? Uh, that the test will the test itself is not long lived. Yeah, yeah. mm. Is there anyone who has anything else to add to that? Yes, uh, Prana. I, I think third point to make uh, the same thing. Uh, I think uh, the quenching the thirst is a form of pleasure. You mm. can get pleasure out of it. Point here is that the bodily pleasure, sensual pleasure, is not dependent, mm. it's subject to suffering. Mm. The suffering may or may not arise. So the stipulation is to uh, not go after it because there are, there is an unconditional uh, joy is also available. But all the sufferings which can be found, uh, it, it gives you pleasure, it gives you suffering, uh, depending on the situation. Mm. You, you mentioned uh, that it is not dependable. Uh, 
Elaborate a bit more on the non-dependableness. So in what way when something is not dependable, in what way does that lead to suffering? When we depend on something, we are telling our mind, conditioning ourselves, saying that once uh, things are in a certain way, <coughs> then, it, then it is okay. So every time it is met, we become happier. Every time it is not met, we become unhappier. Mm. And uh, the, the main problem here is anatta. Mm. Which I'm, I'm jumping out. Mm. Sorry, Bosha, but uh, it's uh, not in our control. Our body and mind, and, like the thirst mm. and the water, all of these things, we cannot govern them, so we can't govern our own happiness. Huh? So we can't uh, decide our own happiness. Mm. So the, the, this object, because uh, it's not in our control, the happiness is not in our control, so mm. it uh, has to come. Yeah, you don't get that. Some of you yes, some of you know. Uh, the gist of it is this. So, um, you see, when we think about impermanence, from impermanence to the fact that it is uh, subject to change, that it will change. And then from there, suffering. In the Chinese text, it's even more curt. Wu chang gu ku, ku gu wu wo. So it, it even skip the middle part. It just goes straight to from impermanence to suffering, suffering to to no self. Wu chang gu ku, ku gu wu wo. So um, impermanence, uh, suffering, and no self. When we when we first encounter it in the sutta, it is in this sequence. Uh, the even change itself, even the, the, the change of from thirsty to, to not thirsty, the not thirsty, yeah, as our sister mentioned, yeah, that itself is not constant also. And why is it not constant? Yeah, uh, it's because, well, it also depends on conditions. When it changes, it depends on conditions. When it comes about, it's also dependent on conditions. And it is this because it depends on conditions and not on our will that makes it not dependable. Changes, if we look at this phrase, impermanence, we typically just understand it as change, yeah? that it doesn't last. But the mechanism uh, behind the change, uh, that is crucial. And it is that Changes occur due to conditions, not due to our whims and fancy. Even when you drink water, and you, as a result, uh, 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 so-called influence a change, yeah? it is still not according to our whims and fancy. But yet, every day, when you are thirsty, we raise our cup, or water bottle and drink. And after drinking a certain amount, it seems to quench our thirst. The whole process seems to give us a sense of control, a sense of certainty, 
that we can effect change directly, that this change is not uncertain, it is certain. But in fact, when you drink water and you somehow manage to quench your thirst, it's actually not because you want it, then it happens. I would say, not even because you bring the cup to you and then you drink, then it happens. Is that your body is also in a healthy state. If your body is not in a healthy state, you can drink as much, it, it, it doesn't quench your taste. It just doesn't. Yes? The water still has to come up. Ah, uh, yes. So for the for the quenching to happen, it depends on condition, and then for the for the water to come out, <laughs> it also depends on conditions. The whole process before, during, and after, the whole process depends on conditions. This physical body is not within our control. We can change the certain conditions, but we cannot directly say, be this and it is this. Be that and it is that. Don't be like this and it is not like this. Don't be like that, then it's not like that. If we can, then all the skincare products will be gone. All the hair dyeing products will go useless. All the what uh, e-ling, e uh, hair implant, whatever, useless. Because all, all that guys have to do is Grow. <laughs> For that matter, don't drop. Okay, don't don't drop. Yeah. Then, guys and girls, wrinkles gone. <laughs> Cannot. Not? Cannot. And it is this particular aspect of change that changes occur not according to our whims and fancy. Yeah. That makes it. Uh, not dependable. And as a result, if we want it to uh, go a certain way, if it happens to uh, coincide with our wishes, then are we happy? We're happy, isn't it? If it doesn't go according to our wishes, then we get disappointed. And sometimes, even before the outcome happens, we are worried, we are concerned, we are anxious. Uh, so, um, Pranav brought in no self earlier. Yeah? Uh, in fact, these three, or at least for a start, the first and the third, uh, they are actually talking about the same thing. In many ways, they are talking about the same thing that this impermanence has the element of no-self, the lack of control, that it changes not because of you, not because it belongs to you. It changes as and when the conditions, the demands of it. Yeah. It's like the test is uncertain. Yes, that's a very good point. Huh? That's why test is uncertain. Have you ever sit down and said, hmm, okay, five more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Five more minutes, I'm going to be thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh, by now, three minutes and 35 seconds. Yeah. You don't know, suddenly, eh, suddenly you feel thirsty. The same goes for 
hunger. The same goes, I was going to say, uh, illnesses. Some of us may sometimes feel like, oh, I can feel it coming. <laughs> yeah, But you don't know when you're going to feel it coming, you know. As much as you may sometimes feel the precursor to a flu. Yeah? If you are a bit more observant and have a bit of regularity in your lifestyle, and if you just go off a bit, you can probably feel that tension building up or over here or over here, depending on which kind of flu you're going to have. Yeah? But you, you don't necessarily know when it's going to come. Yeah. So, red beet, um, hunger, thirst, OH. Uh, OH, do you know? Do you know what, when it's going to come? OH is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, seems to be quite certain. Confirm going over. About the effects of OH, you don't know when is how to what extent and how much. And perhaps the, the change is so subtle that it's insignificant to us. So we are not so keenly aware of it. We are blind to this change. And so our youth give us a false sense of certainty and security. Yeah, so as a result, we may we may be locked into this this nice fuzzy feeling of youth, and then before you know it, one day you wake up, whoa, oh, I cannot move my back. <laughs> uh, that's why when people when that happens to people, they are surprised. If you expect it to happen, yeah, like to, tonight when we all go to you know finish class, we go back home, retire for the night. How many of you know that tomorrow you wake up with a sprain back? In case if it happens, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> but none of us ever go to go to bed thinking that tomorrow I shall wake up with a sprain back, isn't it? Yeah. But does it happen? Yeah. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. I've even had a student who one day suddenly suddenly the eyesight right just started to go. Dim, you know, it's almost like you switch, switch off the light, yeah. and it becomes it became darker and darker, and then she had to, you know, she's like um, clinically blind, yeah. So at some point it was so dim that uh, he, she she had to, you know, like be under care, and, and she's not old; she's even younger than me, a few years younger than me, yeah. So think about it. It's on this basis that the Buddha asked the question, is something that is impermanent, subject to change, subject to suffering? Because when it is of that nature, yeah, such that the change is not dependable, yeah, because of the way it changes, not according to our whims and fancy, not according to our will, not when we want it to change, it changes. Sometimes we want it to change, it changes. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we do want it to change, isn't it? Yeah? But it changes. And this is the thing about change. A happy, happy change. <laughs> and then, not happy, don't change. <laughs> when we are meditating and our legs are cramped, 
we want it to change, but it doesn't change. When we are sitting and everything is comfortable, we don't need to change, then it changes. You suddenly have a crack. So, uh, from there we can then quite safely say, okay, that which changes in this way, I'm going to insert a few more lines in between. If something changes in this way, does it give you certainty or not certainty? Something that changes not according to their wishes. Does it give you certainty or lack of certainty? Of course, lack of certainty. And that which is of this manner, not giving you certainty, will it be more anxious or less anxious? More uneasy or less uneasy? Ergo, suffering. I mean, we can go on quite a bit. I have a few more descriptors. And it all gradually but surely point towards suffering. But some of you may be of the uh, a certain faculty, and then you can just jump from impermanence to suffering. Yeah. But it's crucial for us to understand why impermanent than suffering. And this is the, 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 the detailed sequence. Um, Try to reflect on this, not just to remember. Yeah, it's good that I see some of you copying, writing down notes. Yeah, uh, but uh, when you go back, read through the notes, and then think through again. For some nights during class, you, you you may wow, wow at that moment, wow, wow that's amazing. What Pranav said, wow, what super explained, wow. What that sister whose name I don't know what is it said? <laughs> What's her name? Mayan uh? said, Wow. What Thomas never said, Wow. <laughs> oh. And then after, after that, when you go back, what, what did I write down? <laughs> so spend some time to reflect on this. And it, as you reflect, uh, initially when you read through, it may immediately make sense. It may not. Don't be don't be disheartened if it doesn't make sense. Yeah? Just read through and reflect on this. How did you get from step A to step B to step C to D to E to F? Yeah? How does the whole sequence go from impermanence to suffering? As you as you do this reflection, then um, you can uh, come up with examples of your own. Yeah, that means you you superimpose this principle onto different aspects of your life. Yeah, and try to see whether it still applies. Beyond just drinking water, are there cases where maybe it's a bit grey? Yeah. So in this way then, your understanding would depend. And ultimately, to well, observe change itself. To observe change so thoroughly and so clearly that you are without a shred of doubt that yes, that impermanence, that change is not due to your wishes. That when conditions change, it just change. 
It doesn't give you warning. It is just the way it is. And it's nothing personal. Yeah. So then from impermanent suffering, then no self. So the, the questioning that the Buddha gave, or the question that the Buddha gave was, uh, if something is of this nature and give rise to suffering, is it fit? Is it worthy to be considered mine, me, or my very self? What does this mean? Uh, there, there's some context to this, yeah? Because today, <clears throat> today when we learn the teaching on no self or anatta, we may have this question mark. What does it mean by self? It's in the context of the, of the ascetics and the Brahmins in the Buddha's time, where they have this notion that um, there is uh, something within us or without us. That means inside us or outside of us, or comprising of these five aggregates that they call Atman. Yeah? Loosely, we can translate that as what we call self. In some religion, they will call it soul. Yeah. And what happened is that they assert that the self is of a certain quality. Most crucially, that it is permanent, yeah, everlasting, and it doesn't change. And at the same time, it is it has uh, autonomy. It is independent of other things. It can decide on its own. It has will of its own. It can decide. So uh, these three features, these three features is what was uh, proposed or what is um, asserted by ascetics, by Brahmins uh, in the Buddha's time. So, uh, it is in this framework that when the Buddha encountered the uh, proponents from uh, the Brahminic tradition, from the Jains, from the, uh, such as the Nigantas, from the different ascetics, then the Buddha asked them, okay, you, you say that there's a self. Now, let's talk about the self. What is the nature of this self? Is it permanent or impermanent? He said it is permanent. Is it subject to change or is it not subject to change? It's not subject to change. Okay. So then the Buddha would ask them, uh, where is the self? Or what is the self? Then some of them perceive that form is self. So the Buddha would ask them, so is form permanent or impermanent? And Upon question, they replied, it's impermanent. Then the Buddha asked, well, in your case then, if it's impermanent, then it violates your very principle of what the self is. Then they say, oh, it's feelings. Then the Buddha again asked, is feelings? Is it feelings? Yes. So, is feelings permanent or impermanent? And again, oh, it's impermanent. And the Buddha would go through this question and answer, back and forth, back and forth, going through all the five aggregates, physicality and mentality, yeah, the body and mind, 
And then through this, uh, the the ascetics were led to, or were through this discussion, uh, brought to bear on the fact that well, what they believe in or what they subscribe to, that there's a self in terms of these five aggregates, is invalid. That you cannot find something that fits that description. Yeah, you can't find something like that. And then some of them posit. Um, it is not the five aggregates. It is that outside of the five aggregates, there's a self that owns these five aggregates. So then the Buddha asks, in that case, what, uh, how, how does this, where is this self? And again, so, and this one, this part is quite interesting. Then the ascetic is like, couldn't answer. Beyond the five aggregates, you cannot assert anything else. Because the five aggregates basically describes everything you can know of in this world. So that when they posit that the self is beyond the five aggregates, then it's just a concept. But it cannot be found anywhere. Yeah? And so at some point, the Buddha actually, in one of the sutta, uh, make this description. It is like if a person were to declare in the town, there's a beautiful lady, there's a beautiful lady, in this town, yeah, and has this feature and that feature, and declare, I know of this beautiful, most beautiful lady. And when people ask, so where's who is this beautiful lady? He's not able to show who is that beautiful lady is because no one fit this description. <laughs> yeah, and in this way, the Buddha uh, categorically proved to uh, the ascetics, the Brahmins, that. What, the, what is asserted as a self actually don't, cannot be found. Yeah. And then in turn, when he asks his disciples, he also don't say, already proven, you just accept it. But he then asks, something that is impermanent, that is changing, A change into A prime, yeah? A1 change to A2, A2 change to A3. So if you say, can you still say that that is self? Today I was over at Nayang Girls to for this two session of uh, interfaith uh, sharing, face uh, to faith. Yeah, the, the 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 whole series is called face to faith, and today's theme was faith and terrorism. Yeah. Uh, there was a Catholic priest, a Muslim, imam, and myself. So, so um, before and during the session, uh, before and after rather the session, we had very interesting discussion between the three of us. Yeah, and part of it touched on this. Yeah, uh, today I was a bit more. <laughs> uh, but we we have uh, we have known each other for quite a number of years, so we, we have that. Trust that nothing bad is going to happen when we really, <laughs> yeah. And, and we touch on this question. So, what exactly is this soul thing? Yeah. It's the same concept as self. So, so think about it. <clears throat> I explained to the priest that if you think about it, 
one hour ago, or one hour over ago, when you were sitting down here. Yeah. Now, when you think about it, can you recall? Can you recall when you were sitting here before the class started? Is that you? Was was that you sitting here? It sure feels that way, isn't it? Not don't give me the standard model answer. No, Shifu, that is not me. <laughs> okay, but rather ask yourself how how does it feel? It feels like that was you, isn't it? Yeah, you recall, but that was me, ma. Just now when I was asking your questions and you all think about it, who was thinking? You, ma, right? Earlier, when you all have your dinner or lunch, who was eating? Who was eating? It's not you, Mia. <laughs> <laughs> it's you, right? So if that is you, that is you, that is you, that is you, and this is also you. So we seem to have this sense that there's something that is the same thing. It's all you. Uh, is you, ma? Is it the same you as now, as it is now? Now, if you, if you have attended enough class, then you're compelled to say, no, it's not me. <laughs> yeah. But again, if you don't refer to any of the learnings you have had, if you just ask yourself, is it the same you? Very likely, the intuitive answer is, yeah, it's, it's me, it's the same. Of course, it's the same me, right? And, and this is the part that is very interesting. Unconsciously, we tend to feel, we do tend to have that conclusion. Yeah. The conclusion that it is the same me who was crying when going to school the first day. It is the same me experiencing this, experiencing that for the first time. It is the same me that managed to solve a quadratic equation for the first time, and so on. Yeah, it feels like from your memory that's the same person, right? Unless you are saying that that was a different person. Quite confusing, isn't it? Because in our gut, it feels like it's the same person, which is what happened this afternoon. Yeah. That as we were talking, then the, the, the priest was like, yeah, it's the same person. But, no, it's not the same person. <laughs> but it's the same <laughs> Unconsciously, we feel that way. That means, if you don't sit down and think and analyze, then we will quite naturally feel the same person. But when you sit down and just think about it, okay, that was a small boy. This is a uh, an adult, how can it be the same person? Physically, it's not the same. Mentally, it has changed so drastically. So, what's happening here? The discovery of the Buddha, uh, in a way, unravels this. Unravels this conundrum of seemingly opposing reality. That on one hand, these are two different persons, on the other hand, it seems and feels like it's the same person. And the best thing is we are in the middle of the whole drama. 
And on a day-to-day basis, we are constantly being fed with this perception and this feeling that it's me who struggle or who, who, who wake up in the morning. It's me who, when I say me, I'm describing your your experience. Uh, because I was going to say, it's me who go to work. Then the next thing you know, I'll who go to work. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, every day when you go to work, you take a train, you puzzle, go through the whole bus and rush. It feels like, yeah, the experience is me. So when the Buddha make this discovery and then make this declaration, it seems almost like, huh? And this is where we need to thoroughly examine this. Otherwise, if you just read through and you just, uh, or even read through the explanation or listen to the explanation given, or any book, uh, it will not be satisfying. You need to do reflection on this. So on this no self, there are two points. One is, uh, empirically or categorically, is it true? Second is, why at the first place are we trying to prove or trying to discover that it is no self? So what if it if it's no self? So what if it's not no self? So, uh, yeah, today, today, at, at, at the Nayang girls, it was really, uh, yeah, we, 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 after the two sessions, we stayed on for another one or two hours. <laughs> yeah. You see, the thing is, what the Buddha observed is, uh, because of our tendency, uh, our, this very subtle, uh, and almost intuitive perception that this is mine, this is me, and so on. Um, this leads to incorrect expectations, incorrect uh, perception. Incorrect in what sense? Incorrect in the sense that, number one, it is not what is really happening. Number two, from the perception that this is me, that is me, and so on, then it brings about an, uh, a kind of expectation that is rooted in the wrong perception. Perception that there's an I that is permanent. And by extension, there's a you that is permanent. There's a him that's permanent. And all this is it's not necessarily, or oh, we sit down and think about it. It's a very subtle, almost intuitive conclusion. In the Chinese tradition, we call this Chu Sen Wo Zi. Chu Sen Wo Zi. Chu Sen Wo Zi. And it's basically, uh, what we call, um, I'm going to just use the word inborn, uh, yeah, but it's not inherent, okay? Inborn, uh, attachment to a self. 
you can consider this to be the conceit. Yeah, the conceit. And then built on top of this is another layer of our so-called self, which is with uh, a bit more thinking involved. In Chinese, we call it fen So this is uh, uh, discriminated. So fen So discriminated. Um, uh, this is more about the the view of herself. So, uh, so there's these two levels, uh, and both levels leads to wrong expectations and attachment, and. <coughs> What happens when we have the wrong expectations and attachment? It points back to suffering. Points back to suffering. Uh, in Buddhism, we often highlight oh, that we must cultivate wisdom, we must develop wisdom. <coughs> huh? What is, someone said, what is wisdom? Yeah. What is wisdom? Wisdom is seeing things as they are, simply put. If it is impermanent, to see that it is impermanent. If it is permanent, to see that it is permanent. If it is suffering, to see that it is suffering. If it is not suffering, to see that it is not suffering. If it is self, to see it is self. If it is no self, to see it as no self. Now that is wisdom. Yeah. So the trouble is, uh, our perception give us one picture. But reality don't care about whatever picture you have. <laughs> reality just reality is like a train that doesn't stop. Yeah. Our perception is our imaginary real <clears throat> yeah. And we from our imaginary real we project how reality will go. One second, ten seconds, one minute, ten minutes, one hour, ten hours from now. 10 days from now, how it will be. And sometimes these expectations is not even a conscious expectation. It's an unconscious expectation that should be like this or like that. And the expectation is sometimes expecting it to change, sometimes expecting it not to change. In all cases, expecting it to go our way. Yeah. Or hoping, at least, at least hoping that it goes our way. Any of you ever hope that things don't go our way? <coughs> You have a bigger problem. You need to see me after this. <laughs> if you ever wish, oh, I hope things will go my way. <laughs> but that itself is a hope. <laughs> Isn't it the, 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 the whole predicament? You can never quite hope things that... Because that hope itself is also that it will go your way. <laughs> if it doesn't go away, it's going away. <laughs> so the trouble with the... The concept of self is because it is not in line with reality, then it brings along with such 
a notion. They are all the intuitive feel. It brings with it a lot of um, unnecessary wishful thinking and expectations that will ultimately be met with disappointment. And it is because of this that the uh, we there's this emphasis on this. Both <coughs> uh, and this answers the part about so what? So what if it's like this or like that? Not seeing that it is no self, thinking that there's uh, there's self, there's control, then it leads to suffering. For this purpose, then the, the teachings are given to highlight, to clarify, to reveal what is really happening. And in fact, it is no self. That there's no such a thing that is permanent, unchanging, yeah, and with control. So, this is one aspect of <coughs> the truth that you can discern in mind and body. Uh, one aspect of it. So, um, uh, coming back to the text, this, this part, the reason why we went into this is that when we talk about wisdom, wisdom of what? Yeah. So, this is one, uh, one aspect of reality that the Buddha observed and seeing this as reality, uh, that is wisdom. So, uh, the earlier part, it says, Jian Zha Wei Xing. So, uh, are you able to go and discern that, let's say you are observing your breath, or observing your body, your feelings, uh, mind and mental objects, yeah? are you able to go and observe that Yes, indeed, it is impermanent. It is subject to change. Yeah. Uh, if you are able to, uh, then it means that there has been wisdom arising. Yeah. Through wisdom, now you see that, ah, okay, indeed, it is impermanent. So wisdom has this quality, the ability to discern, yeah, to see, and this is linked to the part that says <clears throat> um, the removal of uh, doubt. Yeah, so, uh, to observe to the point where you're very clear about its features, its merits, yeah, its pitfalls, to know it thoroughly, in other words, to the point where you have certainty. To the point where you have certainty. Uh, so, earlier on I asked, uh, the Buddha declared the three universal characteristics. How many of you agree with it? So, we may agree with it, uh, but is it with certainty? Not so much. Maybe a bit. So, uh, in Buddhism, to begin with, as long as we are not enlightened, uh, it is quite natural for us to have doubt. Doubt is only removed 
when you have attained Sotapanna. When you have attained stream entry, stream entera, <coughs> then you remove doubt. And it is true wisdom that you remove doubt, not true suppression. Not true, not true suppression. Yeah. You don't simply say, oh, wow, you, you doubt. What Sipu say? Yeah. Cannot doubt. <laughs> huh? the, the text says so. Uh, the Buddha said so. So you must believe, you must accept. This doesn't work in Buddhism. In Buddhism, uh, if you doubt, that's only normal. Yeah. In fact, in the Zen tradition, it says, Da Wu, Da Da Yi Da Wu, Xiao Yi Xiao Wu. So, uh, your your realization depends on how big or small your doubt is. <laughs> uh, Zen tradition has this say. Yeah. It means that if you are someone who don't really question it, then your realization will be only this much because you have not thoroughly investigated. If you are a person who really question it, then you are going to have a lot of doubt. But once you clear that doubt, your realization is impactful. It's impactful. So, uh, let me wrap up that part uh, about the Sotapanna. Yeah, I, I probably mentioned so many times really in this series. Yeah, by now you all should be able to regurgitate. Uh. So, uh, here I've mentioned two kinds of the attachment to the self. Yeah. So the, the first type is this, second type is this, depending on which way you want to look at it. But this part, yeah, which is discriminated, yeah, where you uh, have some conscious thought process involved. Yeah, I am this, I am that. Yeah, not the intuitive feel. Uh, for example, let me give you an example. Uh, okay. Have you ever like crossed the road and then someone honked at you? Yeah. So when you get honked, uh, that initial, uh, that shock, uh, we can say that that is due to this, uh, this Jisen Wuzhi, that inborn attachment. Whereas after, after that, you turn around and then you're like, hey, you know who I am or not? <laughs> you know, who said that? <laughs> I don't know who said that also. I, I know somebody said that. Yeah. So that the response is due to this firm beer watch, this criminator. Yeah. Why? Because that, that is the secondary ego coming up. Yeah. Uh, the identity view. Identify with this role as me. I am this, I am that. That's why you cannot do this to me. Yeah. But at the first instant when there's a honk or someone shout at you, yeah. When you when you are crossing a street and and then there was a honk, do you think I Thomas so and so or I Pranav, I'm a researcher. How can that be a honk? <laughs> yeah, we, we have no time to even react. <laughs> so that initial one is due to that inborn attachment to this very being, uh, this entity, this physicality, and so on, as me. And this is oftentimes what we call the intuitive form. Uh, but many times our quarrel, our quarrel, our conflict with people is built on top of this. Yeah? This is 
is is perpetually present. Yeah. But on top of that, I will make matter worse. We make matter more interesting. Because on top of that, we have all kinds of roles that we are playing. And then when we quarrel with people, we have conflict with people. Many times it's conflict of views. And then from the view, that view is linked to our role, who we are, as opposed to who they are. And all this is discriminated. How can we know? For example, maybe at work, someone um, someone come over, uh, you heard someone call you, uh, who wants to be the guinea <laughs> Okay, Thomas. So let's say you, but you know that, so I thought you. Okay, so Thomas, yeah, doing work. Then suddenly someone, Thomas. But maybe for Thomas, when someone says, Thomas, and I'm in So no anger, no war. It's always, I'm in Immediately, I'm in Maybe, huh? But maybe that's one day he's very tired and he's very fed up. So he forgot about I'm in So, when someone, Thomas, then he immediately, who? Then turn around, boss. <laughs> ah, yes, boss, Amitabha. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, okay? But if turn around, it's not the boss. Is there anyone reporting to you? Reporting to me? Yeah. My, my subcom. Your subcom. Okay, let us imagine that you, are, you, have, a, you have your subordinate, lah, okay? Then you turn around and it's your subordinate. Yeah, who just shouted your name. And it applies to all of us. That first instant when you heard someone shout at you, that's the initial. And then after you turn around, ah, it depends on who shouted. Isn't it? The same goes for when you receive a WhatsApp message. And it, it's not always about harsh or, or, or painful words, you know. It can be a very nice uh, hello dear, uh, but depending on who write hello dear. <laughs> yeah? Uh, so, this is the secondary level where the discrimination of the I, yeah, attachment to this discriminated um, role and identity. Yeah? This attachment to this identity. And then attachment to that person's identity. And then in between these two identities, that that's the relationship. Then we interpret. And because of all this, then we have all the colorful life. Of if it's if the interpretation leads to ah okay, then we go up. If the interpretation because of all this is hmm, then we go down. Then it becomes a emotional roller coaster ride. Ah down. Up, down, up, down. Today you receive a, hey, good morning. And at first when you see it, you, you are, and then you see, ah, not my boyfriend. <laughs> or not my girlfriend. Yeah. Or, oh yeah, why is it from him or her again? I don't want him or her to be writing. <laughs> ah. yeah, so, we up, down, up, down. So, uh, because of all that, then we are plagued by 
all these wrong views that leads to our our suffering. So if we can overcome this, if we can overcome this first level of discrimination, identification with this as me, that as me, must be careful. Huh? It doesn't mean that the, the conditional role ceases to exist. It doesn't mean that. Yeah. When you, so please do not tomorrow, Thursday, tomorrow is Thursday, huh? still working there, right, for most of you. Do not go to work, and then later your boss call you, uh, Prana, come over. No I, no you, no researcher, no boss. <laughs> then you'll be very free to attend Dharma class. <laughs> it is to remove the attachment to the role not remove the role. Huh? <laughs> when there are conditions, the role still exists. You see the difference? It's the attachment we are trying to to remove. Attachment to a permanent role. To realize that there is all the while no permanent role. Always conditional. No inherent role. Always conditional. It's to realize this. It's not that there was originally a permanent role that is who we are, and then now Buddha go and take it away. Uh, no. Not that we are trying to cycle ourselves to remove it. Uh. So that's why there's no letting go. It is merely realizing that there was no such thing to begin with. That all there was was the wrong view. And once you see that as clearly as that this is a wooden table, <laughs> wooden platform, yeah, and this is a porcelain mark. If you can see it as clearly as this, then there will be no shred of doubt and you would be, there will be no more attachment to it. Attachment is removed in this way. And that's why all our life after learning Buddhism, when we try to let go of this, let go of that, we fail, we succeed for a while, then we fail, we succeed for a while, then we fail. Why? Because the root itself has not been removed. And it stems from not seeing it correctly. That, that, deep down inside, there's still that both the intuitive sense of attachment, identification, and then the more conscious level form of identification, where it's discriminated, learned, taught, and it, the best thing is, it includes your practically every role that we, every role that we have, including the name of your role and even your name. How crazy is that? Even your name is discriminated, you know. But after using it for a long time, it becomes as though this is really who you are. We should have a retreat where we all swap names. <laughs> yeah. You either go crazy or become enlightened. <laughs> so if you if you were to be able to do that, yeah, first practice and cultivate 
recite the teachings, then reflect upon the teachings, deepen the understanding of that knowledge, and then as you cultivate, go and observe, go and reflect, reflect and observe, and then quieten the mind, and then at some point, ah, you see that, yes, indeed, all there is was actually the wrong view. It's not that there was a permanent entity that we call I, permanent entity of this role or that role, but it's just the, the, the idea that there is. Yeah. And once you see that it's just an idea, it just goes away. You don't even have to try to remove it. Once you see it thoroughly, it just goes away. And once you go, it goes away, ah, then, 论说有会断疑, that it is true wisdom that doubt is eradicated, that is severed. And this is why. Because beforehand, the Buddha already gave us a glimpse of the truth. But when we hear it, it's just knowledge. And from that knowledge, you compare that knowledge with our perception, eh, that's disparity. And because of that disparity, it arises doubt. Now, as you cultivate to the point where this disparity is removed, yeah, and because the disparity has been removed, doubt doesn't arise. The doubt just don't arise. Now, this is how doubt is so-called removed. Not that you forcibly remove it, but it is that it doesn't arise anymore. And why? Because you have verified that indeed the Buddha's teaching and reality is one. For the Sotapanna uh, and above, uh, that doubt is no more, long, no more there. Sotapanna, Sakatagami, Anagami, and Arahant, from the first fruit to the second, third, and fourth, all the enlightened ones remove this factor of doubt. Huh? Why? No recording. Huh? Uh, never mind, I'll take it back. There's a recorder here. Yeah. Let's bring the phone over. <laughs> Today, just want to touch a bit more on the Sotapanata. Yeah. So, when a person managed to remove, but managed to see it to that extent, then uh, doubt is removed. Doubt in what? Doubt in the Buddha. Buddha and his teachings. Okay. And now we then we just go here and we see what happens. <laughs> so uh, for the Sotapanna, he removed three things. Yeah? Such a person would remove three things. The first one is uh, remove the wrong view of an uh, the identity of an uh, wrong view of an identity. Yeah? 
the identity view. That means attachment to uh, to to this as me, attachment to that as me, the view. And remove that view, which is what I described earlier. And because of this, doubt is removed. Doubt in the Buddha, Dhamma, and the Sangha. And because he has cultivated through the Noble Eightfold Path, leading to this uh, realization and verification, he is very clear what was the step and how each part of the Noble Eightfold Path has, built, has been built upon, leading to this realization. And so for an enlightened one, it's very clear what works, what doesn't work. Which practice leads to the next step, and then from the next step to the next step, all the way up to that discernment. It is, it is because of this that the third factor yeah, uh, is removed. The factor of attachment to the rites and rituals. Yeah. Uh, or in some translations, uh, they say the wrong attachments to the practices. So in the Buddha's time, there are those ascetics or Brahmins who come into the order under the Buddha. But they, they have been practicing their own religion for some time. So some of them, although after a conversation or a, a debate, or discussion, or they hear a sermon from the Buddha, and they're quite, wow, impressed. But then, the habit doesn't go away, you know? And because they, they haven't fully appreciated the teachings, they may still think, oh, but I've been doing this practice for so long, you know? Yeah. So they are still attached to that practice, and they still do that practice. But once they have cultivated, according to the Buddha's teaching on the Noble Eightfold Path, leading to this first penetration into the truth, seeing that all there was or is is just the wrong view of an eye, nothing more, nothing less. Then, this, then he, they, they would realize that ah, actually all the other practices that they have been doing didn't contribute to this, and so they see clearly that those practices are a waste of time. A waste of time. Doesn't directly contribute to the practice. So this is the three different factors. Uh, in Chinese, Satya Ye Jian or Wo Jian, then Yi, then Jie Jing Qu Jian. So in English would be identity view, uh, doubt, and the attachment to uh, the different wrong practices. These three are removed by a string enterer. Now, when you, when you understand the sequence, that they are interlinked, then you don't have to memorize. When, we, when I first learned about this in secondary school, oh, I have to memorize, you know, later on, end of the year, I have to you know, go for exams, you know. Oh, so memorize, okay, first one, second one, third one. But you cannot remember hard to remember because they don't seem to be linked, you know. But then as you learn more and you go and try, you realize, oh, this, this three, they, they are not independent things, you know. 
And that's why a sotapanna, once they severe the fetus, all three will come come out together. And so this doubt is not by chance, it's not by force that you suppress it, but by your realization. Your realization verify that the Buddha's teaching is indeed in line with reality. And that's why your doubt in the Buddha is gone. And whatever he has taught, you have confidence. You have no more doubt. And because you have reached this state, you wouldn't have doubt that there is a Sangha as well, that is enlightened. Because you yourself has reached this stage of stream emperor. And by extension, all the other ones should also be possible. So the minimum is that you have confidence that is the Sotapanna Sangha. Once you reach Sotapanna. So, so here, this is also Shusheng So this, this second part, besides saying that um, wisdom can eradicate uh, doubt, it also talk about the reverse. Yeah? It also talk about how uh, doubt, uh, when it arises, eh, there's also some element of so-called wisdom. How does what what is this about? Um, it is talking about how, with respect to the Buddha's wisdom, we don't have it. When we don't have the Buddha's wisdom, we have doubt. But when when we have this doubt, it is because we have our own ideas. Another form of so-called wisdom the wrong wisdom. It's because there's still that wrong wisdom, that's why we are so confident that we doubt. Uh, to put it another way, we have faith in our own wisdom, which is based on our perception. Take for example, do any of you take the leaf coming up? This is a, try and test the example for, I've used for so many years. Uh, nobody took a leaf. Oh, you don't know that there's a leaf. Huh? If you go up this door, uh, there's actually a leaf over there. There's a staircase landing, and then next to it is a leaf. Yeah. So now, it gets interesting because some of you don't even know that there's a leaf. So now that Sifu say that there's a leaf, do you believe that there's a leaf? How many of you agree that there's a leaf? How many of you agree without knowing that that's really a leaf, <laughs> you would be the one of them. <laughs> no, I agree that's a leaf because you said that's a leaf. Yeah, but we don't actually know more. Oh, yeah. uh, nothing wrong, nothing wrong, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and that's a point to this. This is called favor. The Chinese character for faith is Xing, Ren Yan. This is Ren Zibian, human, a person, and then this is speech. Someone say, then you believe, then there's faith. <laughs> you accept merely because someone say. And you said about doubts. The doubts is uh, doubts about the universal characteristic. Uh, wait, Hang on, uh, let me complete this part first. So, when, uh, when the rest of you are... Uh, okay. I mean, factually, uh, 
how many of you don't know that there's a leaf there? Uh, okay, hold, hold it there, hold your hand there. And when Sifu say that there's a leaf there, how many of you then uh, agree that there's a leaf there? Wow, so a lot of you have faith in me. Huh? <laughs> uh, why do you have faith in me? There are a lot of different reasons. But the end result is, because of your faith in me, when Sifu say that there's a leaf there, uh, you, you accept that there's a leaf there. What if Sifu is just, you know, pulling a fast one? Maybe there's no leaf there. Among those who don't know whether there's a leaf there, is there anyone who don't believe that there's a leaf there? <laughs> Sentence is too long. Cannot comprehend. <laughs> <laughs> so those of you who don't know that there's a leaf there, uh, when Sifu say that there's a leaf there, how many of you question that? You question that. So you didn't know that there's a leaf there or not, but when Sifu say that there's a leaf there, you have a question mark, right? Uh, so uh, that is a form of doubt. Yeah, that's a form of doubt. So it is actually a lack of faith in what Sifu say. It's okay, there's nothing wrong. Yeah. Then there are those who already know that there's a leaf there or not. How many of you know that there's a leaf there? How come it seems like some of you raise the hand all the time? <laughs> so when Sifu say that there's a leaf there, do you agree? Of course. And is it simply because Sifu says so? No. It's because you know for a fact that there's a leaf there. So of all the people who agree with what Sifu say, there are those who agree by conviction. Conviction with Sifu. Faith in Sufu. But there are those who agree because they know. So, faith in Buddhism uh, has the same quality. Initially, when you hear about all the teachings, it's just merely out of faith in the Buddha. Faith in what you have heard about the Buddha, then you say, okay, I should be. <laughs> because you don't even know. Any of you met the Buddha last week? day, <laughs> <laughs> anyone of you? Some Pui Pai then? Oh, Buddha! <laughs> huh? Nobody, right? So, actually, for most of us, our faith is, is multi-layered. No? It's basically based on what we have heard about the Buddha. And somehow we heard about that there was a person called the Buddha, then we... Okay, Buddha say one, no? <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing, you know? Think about it, it's, it's so amazing. Not to suggest that that is right or wrong, but it's just so amazing. And that is the initial faith that most people start off with. And then after that, the Buddha said this, the Buddha said that, gave this teaching and that teaching. And we hear it, and sometimes based on the fact that the Buddha said that, then we accept it without much questioning. Some of us accept it or hear, hear it, but then we have questions. Yeah, but why would we have questions? Uh, it's because it doesn't seem to correlate with our own perception. Some of you may have walked past but never noticed the leaf. And so in your perception, you never see the leaf. So even though now Sifu say there's a leaf, you're like, sure not. And then when like, Sifu say, how many of you know for a fact have seen the leaf before? And there are some who raise. And then maybe some of you who walk past many times but never saw the leaf before. <laughs> then you'll be like, how can that be? 
ah, this is what's happening with respect to Buddhism. Because there are, there are some who have seen the truth and they affirm, yes, what the Buddha said is true. But some of us, most of us actually, never see it. Eh? So, I have a lot of question mark. So, in fact, those who uh, doubt Sifu and those who accept, uh, basically, those who don't know that there's a leaf, but agree or disagree with me, actually do it out of faith. One is faith in Sifu, the other one is faith in themselves. Yeah. Now, later on, after class, uh, do yourself a favor. Go outside, open the door, uh, take a look. Then what happened? When you do that, you are verifying the knowledge of the truth. Now it's just knowledge for some of you. Once you take a look, who knows, uh, later we go out, the, the leaf disappears. <laughs> yeah, but should still be there. Last I checked, it's still there. <laughs> and when you see that it's there, what happens? No matter whether you initially believe or don't believe, once you have seen it, you have seen it. And you've seen it once, you it sticks with you. And you have the confidence, yes, that is the leaf. Then what happened? You have confidence in the knowledge that there is the leaf. You have then, by extension, confidence in Shifu. Because, ah, what? Something, something that Shifu has said has been proven to be correct. Then your doubt in what Sifu said will be removed. Or rather, it just don't arise anymore. It is like the lamp. When we switch off the light, it is not that you block the light. It is that light don't arise, don't shine anymore. Here light is, I'm using light as an example for doubt. Yeah. When you see it, doubt don't arise anymore. Yeah. Uh, so this second part, Talk about the where is the oh, sorry here yeah. so you talk about uh, the presence of a kind of uh, wisdom as well even when you have doubt there's a kind of so called wisdom or knowledge yeah, and that is based on your own perception not on the shu uh, not on the shu shen hui yeah, shu shen hui is the the one that is supreme. Uh, the one that is supreme, which is the one that the Buddha has observed and come to know. Know for himself. In the past, when I read all the different texts uh, it, and suttas and so on, it always says, and the noble disciple see for themselves yeah, that it is this as this, that as that. And I always wonder, what does it mean? Yeah. So, as we learn in this class, in other classes, oh, many, many things that is taught. And one day when you verify it, wow. Yeah, you get that. But here I want to highlight. Some of you may be attending different, different classes. Yeah? Uh, what we are having here is considered uh, Dharma class. There is also another type of class which is called what, what I will call Buddhism class. Okay? Buddhism class would include usually Dharma element inside and also uh, 
auxiliary materials, yeah, secondary materials that is not directly Dharma. For example, in many Buddhism classes, you would learn about history of Buddhism, yeah, development of Buddhism. So, why is it that Sifu said this part is not Dharma? Because whether or not you know the history doesn't make you more enlightened or less enlightened. In fact, there are even parts of the, the teaching that can be found inside, let's say, the sutta. Let's say because of reading the suttas and the vinaya, you learn that, oh, the Buddha's father is called King Suddhodana. Right? Did you all know that Buddha's father is called King Suddhodana? Who don't know before this? Who don't know? Ah, don't worry. Yeah? Whether you know or not, for you care, can be called King uh, XYZ. <laughs> and I, I say this not with disrespect, uh, but as a fact that even if you don't know the name of the Buddha's father, it's okay. It's, it's absolutely okay. The Buddha attained enlightenment not reflecting on his father's name. <laughs> nor his mother's name. So if you don't know that his mother's name is Queen Maya and the foster mother is Mahaprajapati, who is the sister of Queen Maya, it's okay. For all you can, a lot of his disciples didn't know this, but attained enlightenment. For that matter, some of them didn't even know who the Buddha is. So one of them, in one of the sutta, the potter's shed, uh, one of the monks ordained under the Buddha's teaching shed the, the sh- shed, the shed, occupied the same shed, yeah, potter's shed, uh, with the Buddha. And that night had a conversation with the Buddha. The Buddha observed, oh, this monk, this, this monk is quite dignified, like, has a certain air about him. So the Buddha decided to talk to him to find out how much he has, you know, like how is his cultivation and upon talking to him realized that oh he is actually his disciple the Buddha realized that that is his disciple you know and then after talking after a while the Buddha asked a well, pertinent question asked oh then what happened that disciple realized that he's talking to none other than the teacher himself the Buddha or oh, really knew down so sorry just now I called you a friend <laughs> yeah so even if you do not know the Buddha, you can still be enlightened. And so there is there are various aspects of uh, when you attend Buddhism classes, there are certain aspects that is pertinent to enlightenment, certain aspects not pertinent to enlightenment. Yeah. When we do reflection, the reflection that gets you enlightened must be focused on the Dharma aspect. Having said that, do not uh, walk away with the idea that oh, Sifu is criticizing all classes. Wow. <laughs> only, only his class is Dharma. No, no. Don't, don't think that way. Uh. Uh, attending Buddhism classes is helpful nonetheless. Let me explain why. Uh, because unless 
unless the class just talk about all the peripheral things but not touch on Dharma. But Buddhism classes will always contain Dharma. Then why is it that classes don't just focus on Dharma and exclude everything else? And the reason is because if you just focus on the Dharma, uh, for some people it's too dry. Huh? Then they may just drift off. And there are students, there are devotees who come to Buddhism and they just want to keep on asking, Hey, but Sifu, where was the Buddha born? Huh? I heard that the Buddha was an Buddhist. Is it true? Then if you don't, they, they just... But even more importantly, for example, I mentioned earlier, development and history of, of Buddhism. That is not Dharma. You see nowhere the Buddha talk about the 18 schools. Why? Because 18 schools haven't happened in the Buddha's time. Yeah? But why is it important to learn all that? Because when you know the development of that and how, you, how certain schools rise and fall, you know how Buddhism died out in India, then you may be able to identify the precursor of an impending doom in other countries, say Singapore. So knowing history of Buddhism can be helpful as well. It doesn't directly contribute to your enlightenment, but it can also help you to have a larger picture of what we call this religion Buddhism. So, okay, so up to this point, so this, this part is all about the wisdom portion or discernment. Yeah. So here, So, these five, these five are the uh, the mental concomitants that arise due to unique situations or objects. Yeah, and here it's saying sometimes only one arises. Yeah? and the following verses with respect to the different scenarios, then each each of them respectively would arise. Yeah, yeah. So this is this whole verse here is describing the different different scenarios where in a certain scenario, uh, there's only one aspect of it, such as uh, it's desirable, yeah, it's, it's what you delight in. Uh, if, if, if that scenario or that object only have that feature of being delightful, uh, then what will happen? Then only desire will arise. Yeah? If it is instead, uh, let's say, uh, an object that you have repeated repeatedly uh, uh, engaged with uh, then but it's not delightful nor non-delightful and so on uh, then what will arise is mindfulness yeah, and so on yeah. so individually if objects or scenarios has only one feature or the other uh, then the respective mental concomitant one of this 
will arise. So this is the first case. But does it mean that only one can arise? Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, there's a whole chunk. Uh. So the whole chunk below basically goes through the different iteration. Sometimes two. Because in some scenarios, it is both delightful and you have repeatedly uh, uh, paid attention to it. Yeah? Uh, then you may have both desire and mindfulness. But sometimes you may... Let's say uh, a very simple example. If you are doing meditation, then it is it can both be delightful uh, and at the same time a repeated engagement with that object, and you may have already established uh, uh, concentration, yeah, or uh, able to focus on it. In which case, then three different mental concomitants may arise with respect to that object. So this whole chunk here is basically going through all the different permutations. But actually not permutation, it's just increasing the number. Uh, it never say, oh, how about this one and that one, A and E, A. It doesn't go through all the different permutations. Why? Because it's just highlighting that sometimes it can be one, sometimes it can be two, three, four, or five. Uh, this whole chunk is basically saying that. So while each of them arise due to specific conditions, sometimes the scenarios may have multiple features, and so they may arise in unison. But they are arising due to its specific features. Its specific features. Now we have two more paragraphs here that uh, completes this section of uh, specific, scenario-specific or unique uh, mental concomitants. The first paragraph here is talking about how with respect to the eight consciousness, then it may relate differently. Yeah, it may relate differently. Then the, the final paragraph talks about the seven consciousness and then, in brief, the first six consciousness. So, So, this is is a is like a standard term referring to the five mental concomitants. These five mental concomitants that arise with respect to the different scenarios. So, what happened to them? Uh, so this in way is not the because uh, <laughs> this is uh, talking about cultivation and fusion period in way and go way at the stage where you are cultivating in in is cause go is fruit so cause is referring to where you are doing cultivation and after the cultivation through the cultivation you get the fruit fusion of the attainment. Yeah, fusion of attainment. Yeah, so uh, this is th this these two phases. So when it, the person is still doing the cultivation, then what happens? The f these five mental concomitants, uh, with respect to the eight consciousness, Chuan Bu Xiang Ying. Sorry, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so um, when we are still doing cultivation, uh, none of those factors. Mm, 
resonate or is ha, has any connection with the eighth consciousness. Yeah. The eighth consciousness and this uh, this this what you call that these five factors, they don't they they, they, don't, huh? uh, they don't talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, why? Because at our stage, our eight consciousness is still default, huh? Uh, it's still default and it's still hazy. In the uh, the other Yukashara text, which I almost mentioned every other week, the Mahana Sangraha, uh, it's, it actually explicitly highlights for unenlightened beings, the eighth consciousness, without the teachings of the Buddha, we are not aware of it. Although it's part of the mind, uh, it is the mind, in fact, it's the key of the mind, the, 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 the master. Uh, but we are not aware. Yeah, we are not aware. So, why? So, doesn't connect at all. In ,第八,第八是任運緣境,所以沒有欲. So, this eight consciousness, uh, no control. Uh. Whatever comes, it just... <laughs> Yeah, so doesn't have special preference for this, special preference for that. So it cannot have desire, so to speak. Uh, another way to look at this statement here is the eighth consciousness itself is non-discriminating. Or it doesn't care you if you give it the uh, the scenario or the object that is wholesome or unwholesome, it just okay like like. Yeah. So it doesn't have special preference for this, special preference for that. Uh, no desire for this or that. If, for example, if it consciousness has special preference, yeah, have delight in wholesomeness, then we'll be enlightened very soon. Only wholesome seeds can be planted. If, it's, if it has special preference for unwholesomeness, then we are doomed. We are all doomed for lower ranks. Yeah, but because of the way it is currently, so, so this me, so this these two words, uh, in a way, they are somewhat uh, con con contradicting, uh, but they this this describe the contradicting nature of the if consciousness. At the same time, it's not subtle. At the same time, it is very, um, what do you call it? May. May is to be mm, dull. Yeah. It is very dull. Yeah. Uh, we don't have active control over this uh, this eight consciousness. Yeah. So because it's so dull, it is not able to give rise to this uh, supreme understanding. Uh, it doesn't have that ability. Our cultivation process, uh, some students ask me in many classes, Sufu, so how do we go and uh, change the eight consciousness? How do we cultivate the eight consciousness? Uh, I don't know whether you all have listened to or learned under different teachers under for Yukachara, but in my lineage, uh, the sixth consciousness is the one that you can and have to focus on. Don't worry about the other consciousness for a start. Why? Because the sixth consciousness 
is the discriminating one that you have influence over directly yeah, in this present life. And it is primarily through the six con- this discriminating consciousness. It is through this discriminating process that uh, we are able to so-called do a hack, yeah, hack our eight consciousness. Uh, my teacher, my late teacher, uh, he, he put it very, very beautifully. He says, The Buddhas and Bodhisattvas know that we are like that. We like to discriminate. Ask you to not discriminate, cannot. I must discriminate. Ask you to, to have correct discrimination or correct thinking, cannot. I must discriminate the way I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> then how? He says, uh, very, very easy. So, give you things to discriminate. You like to discriminate? Let you discriminate. How to discriminate? Give you Buddha Dharma to discriminate. So, by learning Buddha Dharma and then discriminating with the Buddha Dharma, then you are planting, the p- don't change the mechanism. Uh, this mechanism, just let it be. Just change the content. Then you discriminate Buddha Dharma, you plant a lot of uh, those seeds that we can call wholesome roots. That is uh, in line with the Buddha Dharma, with reality. And you keep on doing this, keep on doing this, until such point, the seeds reach a critical mass. Reach a critical mass. Then what happened? Yesterday also take Amati. Today also take Amati. Yesterday a lot of people. Today also a lot of people. Yesterday a lot of people want to get fed up. Today, eh? Suddenly not, not fed up. Today also very crowded. But because of the accumulation of the wholesome seeds reaching a critical point, then eh? you, you inter- when you encounter people, you see people, eh? instead of connecting with defilements, you connect with wholesome dharma. And then you, you, you interpret the, the whole scenario differently. And then from that instant, ah, you, you turn right. <laughs> yeah? You don't turn left anymore. You break out of that cycle. But that's just once. You break out that cycle, then that plants another stronger seed. Yeah. Then after that, maybe after five minutes, again fed up. <laughs> yeah. Then, if you persist, if you then get, get fed up, then you give up, then too bad. Yeah. Or maybe you you go for class and then someone scold you. Yeah. Or maybe someone say something, but you are in bad mood. Then you connect with the defilements, then you give up. I don't study. Or maybe uh, last time I hear a lot of masters say, uh, or, <laughs> or uh, who, who said that? Uh, yeah, a lot of masters always say this. Or maybe you come at a tank class and Sifu scold you, or Sifu correct your mistake. Or then you, oh, I'm not happy. Uh, how can you tell me off? Uh, I'm so wrong. Then, okay, you don't attend class. Then, then you connect with the farmers. But if you can overcome that, you can overcome. You don't listen to your defilements. Realize that you, the defilements is just another process. 
don't have to follow it. Of course, not asking all of us to to hundred percent don't follow a department. But the departments all oh, precious departments. Oh. Uh, if I, if imagine this is the Tibetan that thing, oh, for the Tibetans, oh, the prayer is very precious. Then for us, it's our defunct. Oh, defunct. My defunct. Oh, this my defunct. <laughs> so if I, if, if, if you follow the Buddha's teaching, immediately you must cast it away. But no, no. Don't cast it away. Because it's precious defunct. Like the law of the rings are like precious. <laughs> so, not asking everybody to cast off immediately. La. So at least, once in a while, must cast it off. We must at least once in a while cast it off. Then, you have a chance to cast it off twice in a while. Then, three times in a while. Then, four times in a while. And then, over time, it becomes more natural not to follow your defilements. And then, it starts a new cycle. Otherwise, you cannot. So let me just finish this a few more lines. Heng Yuan Ren Yun Xian Jing Xian So um, with respect to whatever presents itself, then we are just carried away with it. Ren Yun involuntarily. Involuntary. Xian Jing. Whatever presents itself, then our mind is just uh, captured by it. Yeah, so no mindfulness. No mindfulness. Ren yun chana yuan jing. So just involuntarily, just temporarily uh, look at this, look at that, look at this. So, so you may think. So hence, no concentration. But if you think about it, uh, this seems to contradict the earlier statement in the other section. Yeah, because the other section say, even if momentarily, uh, so what's the difference? Because at least for, for that one, Momentarily, each moment there is concentration. This one is each moment just <laughs> uh, the mind is all over the place, and so no concentration. Xing xiang wei mian, wei ming, so So again, with respect to uh, the the, with respect to whatever it is engaging, yeah, it's actually very blurry. To begin with, as I mentioned, before this class, do you know that there's even Allah consciousness inside? I don't know. So, it's just a very subtle part of our mind, not developed. So, there's no uh, no discernment as well. But, this is okay, having reached fusion. Yeah? So, attain various stages of enlightenment. Then, when you reach a certain point of of cultivation, then these five, with respect to the Allah consciousness, uh, they have connection. They are connected. So, with respect to the the whatever that is being observed, uh, there is right knowing. So that's why there is desire. It's able to sustain it and be able to verify and 
and and see that it's like that. So that's why there is that supreme understanding. Yu chen xi jing, ming ji bu shi, shui you nian. With whatever that is in contact, is able to have clear recollection. So that is mindfulness. Yeah, there's no, ah, can't remember what happened just now. Si jun xing wu wu bu ding. Yu yi qie fa chang jue so from this you can see that this this fruit, whose fruit is it? Oh, this one is Buddha Hood, huh? not Chin Chai Chai one. Yeah. And that's why it's established that the Alaya consciousness at our stage is called Alaya. But when a person has reached Buddhahood, Zhuan Shi Chen then it's called the, the wisdom source, yeah. a wisdom consciousness, so to speak. So how about the the number seven? Number seven is the uh, default, the tainted mind, yeah, the tainted mind. So at the cultivation stage, uh, So this tainted wisdom, yeah, uh, just not mentioned about the. We have this tendency, this intuitive feel that this is I, this is me. Yeah. So, uh, with respect to that kind of so-called wisdom, it's a tainted wisdom, not not the the right wisdom. Yeah. So, uh, this number seven consciousness is always connected to, uh, is connected. It resonates with the the wisdom uh, mental concomitant. But here is tainted wisdom, not the right wisdom, not the right wisdom. In other words, it is connected. Sometimes Buddhist texts are. Uh, let me rephrase this. Then you are like, oh, what is tainted wisdom? Basically, ignorance or delusion. So what is it saying? It is basically saying number seven consciousness is always connected with delusion. Make, make sense? Understand? <laughs> if you if you just read the text and wow, such a must memorize what right now, right now. Yeah. is basically delusion. Yeah. Tainted wisdom is basically delusion, ignorance. So number seven consciousness, we have learned already, huh? Previous chapter. Uh, number seven is the is the troublemaker. The one that went to joke. Uh, number six to number eight, uh, the one that has attachment. So it is connected. It resonates with ignorance, with delusion. Uh, this is this statement is basically saying that. 前六世无论在有漏无漏位，都与这个欲等五心所相应无为. Yeah, so as far as the first six consciousness is concerned, there's no there's no uh, negation, no problem. It can connect with any of them, uh, but depending on which one has the has the has that is the condition for it to arise. Yeah. Uh, this yolo ulo wei. This is a bit different from yu wei wu wei, yeah, or yu fan na wu fan na. So yolo literally with flow, uh, or outflow. Uh, is closely linked to defilements 
And previously, I, I would always just link it and say that it's defilements. In many texts, it also say that. But it's actually more about the taints. Your load is actually more about the taints. But if you just translate as taint, then it lose part of the meaning in a way. Because the translation is outflow, asava. Yeah. Many times it's translated as taints. Yeah. But asava, there's some complicated mapping. Uh. Yeah. Uh, it is basically saying because of asava, then there is defilement. Because of this outflow, then it brings about defilements. Taint of sensual desire, taint of uh, being, taint of ignorance. And from all this, give rise to defilements. So it's uh, not completely about defilements, yeah, but it can give rise to defilements. Uh, the, the parable that is linked to it is, uh, there's this you know, bucket or, or, or urn with holes. So filled with water, it just keeps pouring out. Constantly pouring out. Yeah. Pouring out what? Pouring out defilements. So the outflow give rise to defilements. So this completes the this chapter on the five mental concomitants that arise uh, with respect to specific scenarios and objects. So um, there's more that we can actually discuss about this five. Yeah. But just to give uh, a sort of a closing uh, uh, closing to this, if you consider all this, all this, in a way it is describing the factors, the conditions for in each of these individual mental concomitants to arise. All these are, they don't just happen by chance. Yeah? If you want to have Mindfulness, for example, you must repeatedly engage a certain object. If you want to have concentration, then you must repeatedly, you must have repeatedly uh, engage an object and then go and observe it and anchor your mind to it. Yeah. And then if you want to have wisdom, you must do all that and then go and do, do the cultivation of, of discernment. Yeah. Then wisdom can arise. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is, I mean, just giving you a, a gist of it. Huh? But otherwise, you learn this, then, oh, another set of things to memorize. <laughs> it's not meant to be for people to memorize. Huh? It's meant for us to, re, to, to understand how the mind functions. Yeah, so that, oh, if you are not so interested in wisdom, then okay, you don't have to worry about how it arises. Uh, but if you want wisdom, then you may wonder, hey, how come I don't have much wisdom? Or maybe someone asks you, maybe you have wisdom, but you don't know how you got the wisdom. <laughs> should be, should know. Uh, then you want to teach someone, guide someone, okay, then uh, this is the steps. Uh, part of it. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, okay? Okata? Okay. So put our palms together. 愿消散上出烦恼。愿消散上出烦恼。愿得智慧真明了。愿得智慧真明了。
Till we meet again, may be gathered and protected by the Buddha, Dharma, and the Sangha. And as always, bye bye. See you all next week.